Okay, we're ready to roll. I'd like to begin with prayer as we talk about some topics that are very important to all of us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you this afternoon for the opportunity to, to pause and to come together to discuss things that are important to us and that are also important to you. We ask, Father, that you would open the doors that you want us to walk through. We ask that you would give us safety and protection inside these walls and the enemy would be kept at bay. Teach us, Father. Give us your Holy Spirit, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Passing Your Parents. It's an original title. Believe it or not, I thought about this one day sitting out in our large shop building. It was one, early one morning, and I was contemplating questions that many young people have asked me, and older people alike, and that is, how do we, how do, we do it differently? How do we do life differently than my parents did? And I've, I've talked with a lot of hard cases, people who have struggled with different kinds of things. I had one young girl tell me one time, she said, Mr. Wagoner, my parents have done everything wrong. And she meant it. She said it with tears. <clears throat> Not true, of course. People tend to exaggerate their pain. But for her, there was a lot of truth in that. She'd had a lot of, a lot of turmoil, a lot of pain. Her parents were separated. and She was bounced from one unpleasant situation to the next. So, what we want to talk about today is, is how much are we affected by our parents, by our genetic material? <clears throat> it's a little bit hot, isn't it? Yeah. These conflicting with each other. It's okay. Alrighty. Sorry about that. I'm going to have to get used to being tethered to this. I'm afraid I've got David Asherick syndrome a little bit. I tend to roam around a lot when I talk. I guess that's all right. Been a busy couple of weeks for us. We were in Norway, Scottsdale, Norway, back uh, three weeks ago, between two and a half, three weeks ago. We'd been invited to go over there and conduct a week of prayer there at the European Bible School at the college. Third time we've been over there. Wonderful, wonderful country with, with a, lot of, a lot of neat people. And they're just like you and I, really, when you get down to it. Fairly cheerful people, but inside they all struggle with some of the same things that you and I do. As soon as we got back from that, we went up to Michigan. Within a few days, my uh, wife's niece was getting married. And it was my honor to conduct my first marriage ceremony there in Michigan a week and a half ago. That was a neat experience. I, 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 like, I like doing that. I like working with young people. I like working with premarital kids. We've counseled with quite a number of them. And in a little bit, I'll share with you some of our experiences that we've had in the counseling ministry. But as we go into this topic, passing your parents, I'd like to open with a verse of scripture, one that you've all read. Let's read it together. Can you see it all right? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. There's a segment in that 
scripture that troubles some people. Do you know what that might be? Yes. Punishing the children. Right there we stop and we say, God, that's not fair. Okay, I'll accept that. But the scripture does go on and it provides a disclaimer to those who hate me. If you love God, my friends, if you love God, you're not vulnerable to this curse. Let's go on. But each of us have this genetic legacy behind us. We've all got parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. Some of us may know a little bit about them. Some of us may not know anything about them, but they're out there. And we know our parents the best. But there's one problem. They were sinners. How do we know that? The Bible tells us plainly that all have sinned come short of the glory of God. And there may be times when we feel trapped inside. I'm, I'm trapped. I'm part of a long genetic line of iniquity. And am I, am I condemned to repeat the same sins of my fathers as many of the Old Testament patriarchs did, right? Abraham lied about his wife. Isaac comes along, what happens? He lies about his wife. Almost a similar, identical pattern there. <clears throat> I'm trapped. Or am I? Or am I? There are two types of sin issues in our lives. I ask you to ponder these types as we go into the topic here this afternoon. Number one is inherited. Number two is cultivated. A very notable distinction between the two, inherited and cultivated. Inherited sin, what is that? It's pretty basic, I guess. It's, it's a tendency that we inherit from our parents. And let me give you an illustration. If I have a father who struggled for, I'm just throwing this out, this is not necessarily my situation, but if I have a father who struggled with pornography for 31 years, and I have seen that case, by the way, I, as a son, have a very, very high probability that I will struggle in that area if dad doesn't resolve his issues. I may very well struggle in that same area. In fact, I probably will. And you know something scary? It'll be a little bit worse for me. Just a little bit. I'll explain why that is later. <clears throat> Cultivated sin are issues that we've picked up and we've made our own. We've, we've caressed them. Maybe our parents set things in motion, but we've picked them up and we've made them our own. We're guilty. Now right here I need to make a, a very necessary distinction. You're not held accountable for the sins of your parents. I, I hope we're clear on that, I'm sure we are. But there are tendencies that you inherit and I have inherited from our mother and father that tend to follow us around through life if we don't resolve them. There is hope. There is hope. Let's take a look, number one, at inherited tendencies. 
I think you'll like some of these pictures. They're some of my favorites. <clears throat> but this picture has a haunting element to it. You see this beautiful young child, this innocent, beautiful baby. And you, you ask the question, how can it be that this child is born with a desire to kill, steal, cheat, and chew tobacco? They're not. But they are born with something that you and I are born with, a common denominator. We're born self-centered, selfish, aren't we? That's the common denominator in sin. And we have tendencies, maybe, that our parents struggled with and they didn't resolve, which left us more vulnerable to them. For instance, you have a father here in this situation who struggled with pride and moral failure. You have a mother who struggled with bitterness and hypocrisy early on in life. She learned how to tell people what they wanted to hear. It caused less conflict in her life. And there could be all kinds of reasons for that. And by the way, we only look back just briefly here, just for a while, okay? I'm not interested in taking the path of secular counseling, by the way, where you go back and you try to find something in your past that you can blame everything on. Therefore, feel better about yourself. No, not interested in that at all. I'm a different kind of guy. God has called us into a different kind of ministry. I was raised a bit differently than probably all of you, most of you anyway. I was raised uh, old German Baptist brethren, whatever that means. It means that I am firmly attached to the Anabaptist tree. I was the eighth generation and a line of old German Baptist brethren, which looked very much like Amish or Mennonite. I had the black hat. I was baptized in the church of my father's 1984. I was the eighth generation. There were seven before me. <clears throat> I'll go into that story in a little more detail, perhaps with the youth, or maybe uh, tomorrow afternoon. But that won't save me. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from so much. What does matter is what do you do with your life? Where are you going? Where are you going? And that's one thing I love about the Christian gospel. It is not concerned so much with where you've been, but rather where are you going? Years ago, and by the way, I joined the church eight months before my wife did after two and a half years of studying, trying to disprove the Adventist message, and I'm serious. I spent two long years of study. I went to Odd Lots and bought a Bible for $9.88, a big white one with white margins. You know how Odd Lots does the 88 cents instead of the 99, some of the rest of them do. I bought this Bible because I wanted to disprove the Adventist message. I'd been confronted with it and I was attracted to it and hated it at the same time. I spent two and a half years trying to disprove it. That was a long time ago. That was in 1986 through 1988. And today I chuckle a little bit when people find fault with the Advent movement and they want to share with me some new uh, tantalizing tidbit that they've found as a reason to discredit the Advent message. Don't bother with me. I, I've been there. I tried harder than you did. It stands. And that's another whole story. But out of that experience, you see, I joined the church without my wife. There was about an eight-month interval when I was an Adventist. Nancy was still a German Baptist uh, most beautiful German Baptist I've ever seen. We've been married almost 29 years coming up here. She had the, wore the prayer covering. <clears throat> we were very comfortable in the church of, of my father's. 
but that all got interrupted in 1986 through 88. So for eight months of our life, we had to do something we'd never done before. We had to balance dissimilar worship. And that was a big challenge at first for us. Man, we didn't know how to do that. Here I was an Adventist. Nancy was still a German Baptist. We had two beautiful little children who were getting tugged one way on Sabbath, one way on Sunday. You understand all that. And out of that experience, God blessed us. And by the way, Nancy came to her own, her own conviction eight months later, and she said, I'm ready to be baptized. Wonderful. What a wonderful time that was. And in that period of time, I had to learn something because early on, when I was an Adventist and she wasn't, what did I do? I tried to convince her, you really need this, you know. You might want to hurry up. God said, no, let her alone, let her alone. I've told you what to do, my friend. I've told you, my son, to love your wife as I've loved the church, and I've told you to not provoke your children to wrath. Go and do what I have told you to do. I'll handle her, and that's exactly what happened in our marriage. That prepared us for the ministry that we're now in. What is that ministry? I'm a, a biblical counselor, whatever that means. It simply means I'm just a country boy who had a desire, has a desire to help people, and God began bringing people to us. I also own a commercial industrial roofing company. We've been very successful over the years, and we're grateful to God for that. And through that business that the Lord has given us, started in 1984, I've had all kinds of opportunities over the years to reach out and to counsel or just to encourage, maybe a better word, of customers of mine. For instance, I was on a roof one day in Union City, Indiana, 30,000 square foot roof. Uh, the plant manager was a Marine, ex-Marine. Nice guy, tough guy though, and his life kind of showed it, language showed it. And I liked the man. One day he came up on the roof on a Friday and he said, I guess you'll be here tomorrow, right? I said, nope. Going to church tomorrow. <laughs> he started laughing. He started. He said, "Church." He said, uh, and "He said, I'll bet my language just um, it starts with a P and it has a couple S's, and that's all I'm going to say about it." You off. And without even thinking about the statement he made to me, I said, "No, Fred, it doesn't, because I know the people that live their lives apart from Christ don't have any other options." Just threw it out there. And I still remember the sound of the gravel under our feet as we walked across the roof together, he and I. He fell silent, though, not another word. And that's why I remember so clearly the sound of the gravel under our feet. That statement had, had hit him where he wasn't prepared. We got into the freight elevator, went down three floors. I went home. He went his way. And I was thinking on the way home, wonder how Fred took that statement. It just kind of one of those that burst out of you. Found out later it was the right thing to say at the right time to the right person. Fred liked tough talk. I mean, he liked straight talk. It's what he was all about in the Marines. He, I came back there on Monday, went up on the roof. I got the crew working. He came up there at 11.30, and he said, I want to talk to you in my office. When? Right now. Okay. So I made sure everybody was busy, and I followed him same path probably back across that gravel down to the freight elevator, only this time we went into his big office and he stopped there at his secretary's desk and he said, Christine, I don't want to be bothered for one hour. No knocks on the door, no phone calls, no intercom. You got it. Uh, yes, sir, Mr. Mr. Fred. 
So I'll use his name, Fred. He shut the door and went click, and I sat there in that nice little chair, and he sat behind his big desk. I'm thinking, now what? Now what? Well, he wheeled around his chair, and he looked at me, and he started telling me about his marriage that he was struggling in. Isn't that something? This is in 1994, incidentally. 1994, and I'm sitting there thinking, here I am, a roofing contractor, and I had this dual feeling of gratitude that I had this opportunity. At the same time, I had this nagging sense of inadequacy. Here I am, a roofing contractor. What am I doing sitting in this guy's, this plant manager's office? Him telling me about his marriage. He'd been in the, he'd been stationed in Korea. He met a, a lovely young Korean lady there. They got married, fell in love. They had a beautiful daughter, 15 or so, <clears throat> but they weren't happy. They weren't happy. They were both desperately lonely. They had barriers between them. And he didn't know how to get across those barriers. And so he was looking for something that went beneath his toughness to the real core of the issue. What do you tell him? I opened up the Bible. I didn't have one with me, but I opened it up in my mind. Right then I was glad for having studied the scriptures and committed some of it to memory. Because that was an opportunity to open up the scriptures and to start sharing with him things that I believe would help him. And you know what? It did. Somehow, it did. God used that little one-hour experience to bring some changes about in his life. <clears throat> A month later, something else happened. So anyhow, back when I began to... I, I sensed from that that God needed someone to work in this area. And I said, God, I'm willing. I'm available. That's all I said. Three words, I am available if you want to use me. I'm available. Well, but I also knew that there were issues in our life that if we were going to be helping other people, we probably ought to resolve our own issues too. You see, we weren't born knowing how to do this. We were born knowing how to be selfish, self-centered, prideful. I was. I don't want to speak for you, hon. Most definitely. And we both were, yes. But God was gracious. He showed us how to resolve our issues, to open up every door between us, to confess everything that might possibly come between us, to open that up, let Jesus Christ clean it out. And after that happened, we each had a best friend we didn't know we had. That's a neat thing to have. I hope those of you that are married can have that in whatever situation you find yourself in. There is hope. I want you to know that. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what's going on in your life. The fact that you've come to this seminar doesn't mean anything. It just means that you're interested in this area. And that's a great place to start. It doesn't mean that your marriage is on the rocks. It doesn't mean that at all. God can take a good marriage and make it better. <clears throat> and so I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your parents were like. But let's look back for just a moment here. Let's, let's reflect for a moment as we go on here. This poor, innocent little child here comes into the world with a genetic legacy that says, how much can I get and how little do I have to give? And that's astounding. We look at that beautiful picture of innocence. And our hearts go out to that picture like Jesus. He said, let them come to me. Let the children come to me. And that's what God wants of you. He wants you to have a childlike spirit. Let's go on. Cultivated tendencies is another category altogether. This is where we have raised our hand against heaven and said, this is mine. 
illustration. I like this picture. Isn't that great? <laughs> but she grew up. Same girl, by the way. She changed. No, she didn't change, did she? Inside, there's, that, there's still that, that sense of rebellion, that sin of rebellion inside. Let's go on. Take a young boy. <clears throat> He's having a bad day, isn't he? And he grows up too, though. He becomes a rebellious young man who lashes out against all kinds of authority. And because of his rebellion, he adds another sin to his life. Guess what that is? Moral failure. 99.9% .9 of the time, a rebellious child will move into moral failure. Okay, now they've got two issues. They started out with one, rebelling against authority. And that shows up first with your parents, and then it moves to God later. You add moral failure to it. And with the moral failure comes a sense of, a sense of defeat into your life. And along with that, on the heels comes depression. And if it goes far enough and long enough, a person feels suicidal. There's always a reason. There is hope. I want you to know this. Let's go on. I like to boil things down. I've tried to do that here. There are only two options for the kind of issues I'm describing. And by the way, those are both found in the spirit of prophecy, inherited and cultivated tendencies. Any of you ever stumble across those verses? It's in there. It's a beautiful thought. <clears throat> until we're in the grips of resolving it. The good news is when you resolve something like that, though, your life can experience freedom that you hadn't had before. Now, if your father was a dominant individual and you as a daughter inherited that, that doesn't mean that you're going to stop being dominant all of a sudden, no. What it does mean is that God is going to put love into your heart and compassion, and your love will become dominant. Paul, case in point, he was a stubborn Dutchman, I guess, in a way, I don't think he was from South Dakota or Berlin, but he was a stubborn individual and after his conversion he becomes stubborn for Jesus Christ. This is God's will for your life and mine to take whatever tendencies we have in our life and turn them into something beautiful. Two options. You resolve it or you justify it. You find a way to be happy about it. And this is the fundamental flaw in secular counseling. <clears throat> As I mentioned earlier, we do biblical counseling, which means we rely upon the Bible almost exclusively to help people come to freedom in situations. I am amazed at three things. I'm amazed at how the Bible can change a person's life. I'm amazed how prayer and repentance can change a person's life. And I'm also amazed at how sin will bind and destroy a person. Whatever you're struggling with in life, I want you to know there's hope. There is hope. Jesus can help you. And I'm also, I'm also amazed at how sin will consume an individual. And yet how repentance will free that individual up. So we will either repent, we will resolve our issues biblically, or we'll justify them. And if you have children, we'll pass them on to our children. Let me throw a disclaimer in here that might be helpful. <clears throat> what do I mean by resolve and passing it on to our children? Uh, am I guilty for the sins of my children? Is there something wrong in my life? I had a son, this is hypothetical by the way, using it as an illustration. Let's say I had a son who 
who grows up and gets into alcohol and drugs and he becomes suicidal. Is that my fault somehow? Did I fail him? I don't know. You're not to blame for his choices. I want you to know that. Okay. Set yourselves free from those kind of lies. There's two kinds of guilt. There is the genuine kind and there is the false kind. The genuine kind is the Holy Spirit convicts you of something that you've done wrong. That is an appropriate use of guilt. We need that. I need that. The false kind is where someone is manipulating you. Let's say you have a mother who's used to dominating you as a daughter or a son. And she puts pressure on you to make you feel guilty and to get you to do what she wants you to do. That's a false kind of guilt. Okay, let's go on. <clears throat> There's a right way and a wrong way to deal with issues in life. I think you'll like this one. <clears throat> I presented this for the first time over in Norway two and a half weeks ago over at the European Bible School. And when I came to this slide, everyone in the class started laughing. And they looked over at a girl who was sitting off to the side, and that was not my intention at all. <clears throat> and so I paused for a moment, and I, I dealt with that situation as, as tenderly as I could because I wasn't there to expose anyone. But when I popped that up there, it reminded them of someone. They all started looking at a girl laughing over there. Well, she was laughing too, fortunately. Had she been in tears, I probably would have just paused the class a minute and helped defuse the situation. How about that? You want to see that again? That's just the way I am. The problem's not mine, the problem's yours. I had a couple come into the office back in 2004. It's hard to remember when you counseled towards a couple of hundred people. But there was a, a wife literally drug her husband to come see us. We don't charge, by the way, for our ministry. It's, I was convicted early on that God never intended for people to have to pay $80 to $100 an hour to resolve issues. No, I don't believe that, especially as a believer. God has intended and made it plain in the Bible that we are to come alongside of fellow believers and to encourage them so much more as we see the day approaching. And so because of that conviction, we've never charged for our ministry. The wife dragged the husband there. He didn't want to be there. <clears throat> That's not too hard to tell that when they come in. You can kind of read the body language pretty quick. And I knew he didn't want to be there, and he sat over there kind of glowering. Okay. <clears throat> the wife wanted to be there. Anyhow, so I asked, I asked him why they wanted to come, and she had a nice, pleasant answer. And he said, because she made me. Okay. Right away I began to pick up that there's a twofold problem, okay? You've got a relationship that's out of balance, okay? He's there because she's forced him to. Okay. Why has that pattern been established in your marriage, and what can we do to turn that around, number one? So I asked him what they were struggling with. He said, I don't have any problems. Okay. I didn't challenge him on that at all. That's all right. Let's go on. We'll come back to that story later. When we justify our weaknesses, this is what happens. We enter a downhill slide. Number one, we deny that we have a problem. I go back to the illustration I just used. The man said, no, I don't have any problems. Okay. That'll challenge him on that. That was Monday. By Wednesday, he looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, you know, I have some things I could probably work on. I said, I know. When would you like to start? He said, right now. The second way that people re 
justify their weaknesses or avoid resolving them is to project it on someone else. Yes, I know I'm angry, but it's their fault. If they weren't so stupid, I would be a happy individual. If I could just get them to change, Mr. Wagoner. Yes, I know I have a weight problem, but if the Nestle's company didn't make M&Ms, I would be all right. We project it on someone else. We fail to take responsibility for our own actions. And friends, this is a huge problem in Western culture, you know? Big problem. Scandinavia, America, wherever I go. We've entered into a, an era in history where we project blame upon anyone else but ourselves. Unless you're a converted person. Unless you're a converted person then you're different and you've got a power within you let's go on you rationalize the third wrong method of resolving or acknowledging your issues you rationalize it yes I know I'm not treating my wife the way I should but I don't know anybody else all the other guys in church treat their wife about the same I'm doing okay I'm doing all right I know I'm not respecting my husband I I make him feel stupid when we're around other people but all of our friends do that too. Okay, let's go on. That leads to pride, or it becomes an indicator of it, whichever. And pride is a real problem in our, our relationships, guys. You see, God has given all of us relationships. Psalm 68, 6 says that God sets the lonely in families. You see, God knew that it wasn't good for man to be alone. It's why he made marriage, he made woman. And that's why God created families. Psalm 68 tells us that. That it's not good for someone to be alone. <clears throat> Pride, on the other hand, will block the resolution of every other problem. Okay, If you're struggling with moral failure, we have to resolve pride first. Get that out of the way, and then we can go down and address that issue. If you're struggling with hypocrisy, okay? <clears throat> or let's say you've been damaged somehow when you were young, and each of us have had wrongs done to us. I don't know what that is in your life. I know what, what if the issues are in my life, my wife's life, because we're close and we're one. But whatever that is, how you respond to that wrong is going to determine the future of your life. And pride many times will block the resolution of that problem. I struggle with pride, by the way. It's one of the issues that I really had to confront back in 2002 and 2003. And I asked God to just literally break that and take that away from me. And I humbled myself before him as I never had. And even since then, every morning this morning, in my little room over here in the, the hotel, my wife was gone. And I got down on the bed and just stretched myself out across it. And I humbled myself before God. And I said, God have your way with me today do your will not my own that's the key really we have to do that moment by moment pride leads to anger again continuing our downward downward slide why does pride lead to anger well because you set up in pride you set up these expectations that you think should happen and then when they don't happen you get angry about it let's go on this will damage those around you, those closest to you. If you're married, your spouse will suffer the brunt of that first. And children, if you have children, friends, other people who are around you, employees. That's if you justify your weaknesses. Remember that. 
there's a better way, and we'll get to that here in a minute. <clears throat> Anger leads to depression. I can explain why that is. You'd be surprised. We, anger, not anger. Depression is the fastest growing disease in the country of Australia. It's the one for which they prescribe medication the most. And America is almost there. We've been climbing on this indice scale. We're almost there in America. The number one prescribed medication treatment is for depression in Australia and almost that way in America. Why? Depression's on the rise. Adultery is on the rise. Why is that? Same sins, by the way. Just more of it. We're heading towards the end time, dear ones. It's a time to start loving people. It's a time to open your heart to God and say, God, would you show me things in my life that I'm struggling with? We were out at 3ABN last week. We've been asked to lead out in their youth department, Nancy and I, and also our son, Dylan. And that's kind of a neat story. He met his spouse out there, spouse-to-be. Last year, we did the same thing. We went out there and led out in the youth department at the big 3ABN camp meeting. And out there, he met his wife-to-be. They're getting married here in July. We're looking forward to that. It's a neat story. And they also went with us this time as well. So we traded off. And we got these young people now who are leading out in this youth class and doing a, as good a job as we were, if not better. Wonderful to see that. Passing their parents. Remember the theme? If we hang on to our, our sins and our weaknesses, we will pass them on to our children. And your children will struggle more than you do. And I say that not to make you feel guilty or bad, but rather to motivate you to say, okay, what is there in my life that I can resolve, God? Imagine there's a door on your heart, and just let that door swing open. And pray this prayer in your mind. God, is there something in my life that you would like me to be aware of? Would you show me what that is? Is there something that needs resolved in my life? Do you think God honors a prayer like that? Yeah. You bet. In fact, he's been waiting for a long time. If you'll resolve your issues, whatever they might be, if I resolve my issues, then I will free my children up from struggling in that area, whatever it might be. Now, they still might struggle, but it'll be easier for them. I can give you an illustration of that. Let's say you have a very bitter mother. Because of her bitterness, she's angry. And because of her anger, she gets depressed time to time. Now, if she'll resolve that and clean that up, God will put joy in the heart of that mother instead of the anger. Anger and depression are secondary emotions, by the way. They're secondary. They don't exist on their own. There has to be some fuel underneath it. Somewhere down there in the heart, there's something that's causing those two to come to the surface, anger and depression. They don't always show up together, by the way. Sometimes they do. But they're secondary emotions. They don't exist by themselves. You're not just an angry person for no reason. There's always a reason. Well, let's find that reason, whatever it is. Allowing God to reveal things through His Holy Spirit to us. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit who came to reveal and to speak truth to us. Reveal things of Jesus. <clears throat> Ultimately, if it goes far enough, the character of God is impugned. It's a big word. I had to explain that. 
out at 3ABN in the youth class. Some nice young girl raised her hand and said, Mr. Wagner, what does impugnant mean? So I better explain that. So I did. I said, it, it says something bad about God. It says something negative about him. And it gives those watching the great controversy a yet another reason to mock him. Ultimately, God's purpose for our life is defeated. See, God has a purpose for your life. He wants you to be a blessing to other people. You don't have to do what we do. I don't know what corner of the world you live in, but there are people around you wherever you live. I know, Phil, you live in Finley in Cookie, and there's people in Finley that need love, and you've, you've demonstrated that to a number of young people, and I really appreciate that. And, and that's what God wants us to do in our lives, is to care for wherever town you live in, live in, there are people there who need love. Same way with Nancy and I. We live in a little town called Piqua. Everybody there needs love. You're created in the image of God. So am I. What that means is I've been given the ability, you have been given the ability to give love and receive love. We've got these two beautiful attributes that make up the image of God. You can give and receive love, and I can give you Bible references for both of them clearly. The enemy is in the process, in the business of locking your heart up so you can't give or receive love. You take a, a young girl who's been abused in some way, okay? This is one thing I hate about the enemy. What happens is, let's say it's a sexual abuse. And just as soon as that happens, the enemy will come in and put lies on top of the heart of that young child. This is what those lies sound like. Um, you're dirty. This is all your fault. If anybody knew this about you, they wouldn't want you. All men are creeps. You'll hear those kind of statements from time to time in the counseling office. And I will always know that there's something underneath a statement like that. If a young girl comes in and says, all men want is sex. Okay. All men are creeps. Okay. There's something under a statement like that. And my job as a counselor is to find out what's driving those kind of statements to the surface because they're not true, are they? I had those statements made by a young girl years ago and so I stopped for a minute and I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, was Jesus a man? Yeah. Okay. She said, I see what you're trying to get at. Did all men were creeps? I said, was Jesus a man? Yes, he was. Okay. So it's not a true statement, is it? No, I guess not. I guess not. I said, no, I acknowledge that someone has, has damaged you and somehow. Let's find out who did that and why. Let's, let's resolve that biblically. My wife's in there, of course. Never counsel a woman alone if you're a man. Okay, remember I said that June 9th. 2011. I made that commitment back 25 years ago and I hold to it firmly. Don't do it. Don't go there. But Nancy and I worked with this young lady together. <clears throat> the enemy will put lies like I've described to you on the heart of that young child. How do you fix a lie? You expose that lie to the truth. You expose that lie to the truth. Let's go on. This is the correct approach how to resolve issues in our lives. I had a time in my life where I didn't know how to resolve things. Okay. 
I was, I looked good on the outside. I was able to kind of grin through just about anything. But there were issues in my life that I really didn't know how to resolve or get past. And it was that way in Nancy and I's life years ago until we, through God's grace, opened up our lives and resolved everything. And that's just the neatest thing in the world. You've got a best friend that you should have had from day one. But it took us a while to get there. We got there anyway. That's all right. I'm not regretting that. How do we resolve it? Number one, you acknowledge that there's something in your life that runs counter to the Word of God. What is that? You've got a man here who's thinking it over. For a brief moment, a flash of inspiration brought by the Holy Spirit has touched something in his life. And he says, you know, I wish I knew how to be free from this. The next step he seeks to understand. I love this picture. It so reminds me of some of the young colleges we've spoken at or academies, young people. We spoke a couple of years ago about morality to the uh, Spring Valley Academy Pathfinders down in Dayton. That was a a neat little time together. Good kids. Afterwards, a young boy came up and wanted to talk. They will. He wanted to resolve some things. That's what we're here for. Seek to understand. How does he understand? He goes to the Bible. This young man's reading the scriptures, sitting under a tree. Next, you confess and repent. I love this picture here because it encapsulates the very soul of repentance. The picture of a young girl kneeling, humbling herself in the sight of God, saying, God, I was wrong. And then you forsake, you forsake whatever it is that was bringing dishonor to the name of God. And I love this picture here. He's got a young oriental boy saying, no, oh no you don't, not with my life. We have to learn to say no sometimes to things that we said yes to. Freedom, what a wonderful picture. What a wonderful experience. And lastly, your life will glorify God and you will too. I've seen shy people come out of their shyness when it comes to telling others what wonderful things Jesus has done in their life. And we find that story exemplified in the story of Jesus and the demoniac. He used to go tell your friends what great things God has done for you. That wasn't hard for him to do. That was natural. He couldn't wait to tell people. There are scriptures for each one of those, by the way. And if you'll ask me later, if you want the scriptures, I can make all those available either through email or some other way, even Facebook. Funny, 10 years ago, we didn't know what a Facebook was, did we? That's when somebody was reading something too close. But it does have its uses. When we were in Norway for the third time, that was our lifeline back in the States. Email barely worked. Phone didn't work at all. Can anything or anyone help our condition? Ah, now we're getting into the good news. Yes, there, I started out by saying there was hope and there is knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things from your aimless conduct, aha, received by tradition from your fathers, aha, it didn't come from, it didn't come from nothing, it was passed down genetically to us. But here Paul assures us that we were not redeemed from that by corruptible things. We were redeemed from it. And he goes on to say what that element is. It's the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish and without spot. And I said Paul. I meant Peter. Sorry. 
Psalm 68, 6, God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing. I love that scripture. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. And I have to wonder sometimes if that scripture was in the mind of Christ when he stood up in Luke 4 and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Yes, he's quoting from Isaiah. But he also lived in the scriptures as a boy, and I'm sure he'd run across that one too. He leads forth the prisoners with singing. That's exactly what God has done and will continue to do in your life. The rebellious live in a dry land. King James says they dwell in a dry land or they live in a sun-scorched land. Nothing grows in a dry land, my friend. The occasional weed. And lastly, God will give you a new family and a new heritage and a new future. You take some young people and they're growing by the million. My heart breaks for, for them. You see, we live in a culture where young people are coming out of homes that are getting worse and worse and worse. I know this as we work with young people. And they come from some very hard situations and your heart just goes out to those young people. They need what we need. We don't really have <clears throat> anything to commend us to God over them at all, not at all. We all need the same thing. We need a new family, a new heritage, and a new future. And that's what we were given when I came into this church and accepted Jesus for the first time in my life. Let's go on. What can we learn from our parents? What to do? How to love? Yes. There was a song back in the 60s that I, I kind of liked. I remembered it. it was called Teach Your Children Well. A fairly pretty song if you like bright harmonies. And I always thought that song was ironic as I grew up, that how somehow the parents, the kids of that generation would grow up and become the kind of parents who would finally teach their children well. Yeah, they taught them well, all right. They taught them how to walk out on marriages. They taught them how to end up in counselor's offices with five different medications. They taught them how to shirk responsibility and how to blame everything on someone else, yes. That's the generation I grew up in. I grew up in the hippie era. <clears throat> Some of you did too. It wasn't a good time, by the way. I went through it. But there is hope and there is a bright spot in all of this. You can learn what to do and learn how to love from your parents. And if you don't have that, that's okay. You have to learn it from somewhere else. You can learn what not to do from your parents. I've seen some situations that were so hard I told that young person, just about the only thing you can learn is what not to do from your parents. Okay, well, at least you're learning something. Let's go on. But the Word of God can put good things back into your life. You can learn how to hate from your parents. Is that too strong? Not really. Let's go on. What to do. Number one, be just. I love that passage in Micah 6. It's actually the verse of a song. He has shown you, a man, what is good. To be just. And there's Bible examples for each one of these. And I love the, the illustration of Jonathan when he turns to his father and he says, Dad, you're not treating David right. You're not being fair with him. He was rewarded for that with a spear, remember? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> But he did what was right. He stood up to his dad, powerful, uh, corrupt individual. But he said, Dad, you're not being fair. And I like to think that Jonathan was, was responding 
to this biblical theme of justice. I like that. And God can do that in your life and mine too. Number two, forgive often. Forgive often to love mercy. To do justly and to love mercy. Do you have a compassionate heart? Do you like to forgive people? Do you have a list you carry around with you of people who have wronged you? Are you just waiting for the opportunity to get even with them? Are you somehow hanging on to that list, hoping that they will make it right someday? If you just fret over it and stew over it enough, that someday they're going to crawl back to you and make that right. It will never happen, my friend. There's only one thing you can do with a list like that, and that's to tear it up before God. Agree to pay the price of the pain that it caused you. And that's a whole other topic I can get into some other time. But to do justly and to love mercy. And here's an illustration of loving mercy. One of the high points in the Bible. One that I want to personally review someday. I want to hear Joseph say, send everyone out of the room. I want to hear it. Maybe someday we'll watch the great heavenly video. And we can hear the emotion in his voice. But more than that, we can see the mercy and the love from God come into that room on these brothers of his. What a wonderful story. Let's go on. Resolve pride. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. How do we do that? I got another presentation completely on that. How do we humble ourselves? Do we wait on, do we just somehow sit there waiting on God to do it for me? Well, I guess he's late today, maybe tomorrow. No. There is a part, a human part to play in this. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And I've, I've done a whole study on this. There are three verses in the Bible where God says, I will humble you. And on all three of them, it's dealing with Israel's lapse into idolatry. Okay. And there's over 20 where God expects you and I to humble ourselves. So we have a part to play in this as we kneel, as we humble before God. And then he does his part. Resolve pride. And a biblical illustration of that is Nebuchadnezzar. I love that story. It took me by surprise as a young Adventist to learn that Nebuchadnezzar actually wrote a chapter of the Bible. Wow. To a little Amish Mennonite kid who never stumbled across that that was that was pretty cool and it still captures my attention today because of the beauty of the power of God in humbling this man and how he lifted up his eyes at the end of seven years and said now I Nebuchadnezzar praise and honor and extol the God of heaven all whose ways are righteous wonderful story and lastly love with thy God walk with your God Walk as he walks. Have compassion for one another. Speak the truth in love. Truth is very important, the Bible says. It also says in Ephesians that it must be spoken in love. What was that? Looked like a caterpillar, didn't it? Let's go on. What to do? Give your children a good marriage. You want to give them good gifts? I know a lot of parents who, who have set up rather well-funded bank accounts for their children or grandchildren. And that's a nice thing to do, I suppose. But you can give them something better. Give them a good marriage. I like this picture. you got a husband and wife here who are just going through the monthly budget. And I don't know if you can see it there, but there's a, uh, a bar chart and they're working through it. And, and they've made a compromise apparently and they're, they're working together. I love that story. I used this picture on purpose when we went over to Norway. 
because that's a Scandinavian family. Every second person over there is blonde, by the way. But Mr. Wagoner, I had terrible parents. <laughs> Don't you like that? I love that picture, I guess because the kid seems to be kind of smiling and halfway pleasant about the whole thing. And I'm sure it's a set-up job, they weren't abusing the kid. But I've had a lot of young people say I had terrible parents. Maybe you've heard them say that too, or maybe you've said that. Okay, they've maybe done some things wrong, but not everything wrong. Did your parents ever feed you? Okay, yeah, well, that one time. Okay, they did something right. Did they change your diaper? Yes. They didn't do everything wrong then. We tend to exaggerate our pain as people. <clears throat> Can you find the child? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> no, I'm not saying this is a terrible parent situation. It, it, it could be a lot better, I'll put it that way, okay. That, that's not even legal, I don't think, anymore. <laughs> Let's go on what not to do. Poor kids choking there. <clears throat> what not to do, don't play favorites. We learned this in the life of Joseph, Reuben, and the rest. And the aftermath of that whole story was one that could have had a very ugly ending had it not been for the grace and the glory of God working in the heart of Joseph. Wonderful story. Don't be an angry parent, Ephesians 4, 26, Ephesians 6, 4. And it's easy for me to stand up here and say, don't do all those things. I hope you know that there's more to it than that. God can give all of us the victory over that. And I've struggled in some of these areas as well, too. And I want you to know there is hope and there is freedom. Pressure patterns, that's putting pressure on your children. You give them the idea that if they do good, you'll love them. That's a bad thing to do. How do I know that? Well, number of ways. We were down in Kentucky conducting a marriage seminar several years ago. Nancy and I got a call at the motel one night and a voice I didn't recognize said, would you have time to talk to my wife and I? I said, oh boy, I'm scheduled for the just about solid up until the Valentine's dinner. They were having some sort of banquet for the couples. But I did have one hour before the dinner. I was planning on relaxing, maybe taking a nap. I said, yes, I do have an hour. I'll give you that. Okay, we'll take it. So we met at the church in a little side office there for the associate pastor. And I know I didn't have a lot of time. I had 60 minutes. And I, I wanted to get right to the core of something quickly because otherwise in 59 minutes I'd stand up, shake their hand, say it's been good to know you. I'll see you later. The man had been struggling with pornography. He was an engineer. He's Adventist people, by the way, no names. However, he had just gotten involved in it recently, surprisingly. And it, it formed a stronghold around him that he couldn't get free from. And he was just tormented with guilt. And he wanted to get free from it. And so I led him, I, I led him to Jesus Christ. And I appreciate the message this morning about how prayer must be, sins must be confessed to God and faults to one another. And as a counselor, sometimes you'll hear things that fall into the sin category. And that's all right, because they're not confessing to you. You are leading them to confess that to God and resolve it. I'm just lucky that I get to watch it from time to time. Other than that, I have nothing in it. I'm just a country boy from Ohio who's agreed to carry the corner of a blanket like the 
men who carried the paralytic to Jesus. <clears throat> Pressure patterns. The, the lady was a uh, doctor. 50% of all doctors in America, almost half, are still trying to please mom and dad. This is well known in the counseling community. Okay, Not all of them, of course. And you can get free from that. If you start out wrong, that's all right. You can clean that up later if you're willing. And that was exactly her situation. She'd grown up in a household which conditioned her to what I call performance equals acceptance. And you can do a lot of things when you have that kind of mindset, but you're not doing it from the right motive or the right reason, and you become burned out later on in life. I helped her resolve that. She started crying right away. And all this happened in the space of 59 minutes. I shook their hands, and we prayed together, and we went to the banquet. <clears throat> Lost track of them. Years ago, there was a couple supposed to come to our house for a week, five days. to uh, We were going to help them work on their marriage. <clears throat> Got a call from them about three days before they were going to come. The lady said, oh, by the way, we're not coming. That's okay. We have cancellations every now and then. I said, what, what's the reason? She said, well, there's this couple in our church who started a Sabbath school class on all these issues. And it got so big, they had to have two classes. And she said, I went to that class, my husband and I, and it really made some changes in our life, turned our lives around. I said, what's the name of the couple? Same couple. I love to hear those kind of stories. I only need one story like that a, a lifetime to make everything we do worthwhile. Let's go on. Don't reject others or your children. We don't have time to go into um, any illustrations here. But there's ways of rejecting people that you're maybe not aware of. If someone comes to you in church and said, I am really sorry. I hurt your feelings the other night in board meeting, and I, uh, I'm sorry I did that. Don't throw that away. Don't brush that aside by saying, oh, forget about it. That's all right. It's nothing. Now, that may sound like you're being very charitable, but you're actually rejecting that person. I can go into more detail on that later, or Nancy can. You're pushing. They've opened up their heart, and they're saying, here's what's inside of me, and they hand that to you. And you, you slap it away and say, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. Rather, just accept it and say, that means a lot to me. Thank you for saying that. It's all you need to say, and, and you will warm the heart of that individual. They might even become a friend for life. Let's go on. You can do the same thing to your children, by the way. Be careful how you respond to them. If they're scared, don't say, go. Go back to bed, everything's fine. In a way, you reject the heart of that child. There's a better way, and I had to learn it too. I did it wrong different times. Don't lie to your children. Don't abandon others or your children. Titus 2.4. God has given specific ministry to men with younger men. Paul had that with Timothy. He calls him my son. And in that same context, Paul counsels the older women to minister to the younger women. Teach them how some of these things work in family. Don't criticize and condemn. Some people grew up with that kind of a parent and it left an impression on them. Guess what? They grew up and they became that same parent. Don't have to though. Let's go on. Don't abuse people. There's four different kinds of abuse. Three main ones, sexual, physical, spiritual. Spiritual abuse is piling truth on top of your children with no love. That will drive them from the from God. <clears throat> it's not our place to make our children feel guilty. When we do, we'll push them away from God, especially fathers. Fathers are very, very important 
in America, even more so. Ellen White had it right when she said the greatest want of the world is the want of men. You see, God had touched her pen of inspiration in a way that predicted of what was coming on the earth. The greatest want of the world today is the want of men. 91% of men in prison, by the way, 91% have either a poor or no relationship with their father. That's a lot. Let's go on. <clears throat> Generational sins. This is a lyric of a song. I'm trying to finish up here in nine minutes, so if I go too fast, I'm sorry. <clears throat> This is a song that was kind of an autobiographical sketch of a writer. First thing I remember was asking Papa why, for there were many things I didn't know. And Daddy always smiled and took me by the hand and said, someday you will understand. It goes on. That's how the first chorus starts. It's actually a fairly pretty song. But he goes on to describe in the second verse how his father abandoned the family, left him, mom and dad split up. And then he comes on into the next verse where he talks about he had his own son. And lastly, in the fourth verse, he describes that awful moment of self-awareness when he realized he had just done the same thing to his children that hurt him so bad when he was deep. And it's a true story, by the way. And for the he said, I think it was September, the year I went away. Aha. Uh -huh. Remember what it said up here? When Daddy went away. Generational sin. And I still see him standing, trying to be a man. I said, someday you'll understand. Last verse carries a lie. I want to see if you can find it. Can you read that all right? <clears throat> Pardon? Good. Where's the lie? Last verse. Someday never comes. Someday never comes. Actually, that's not true. It's false in two ways. The Bible says the day will come and we will know as we are known. And we're also able to know what truth is while we're alive here and now. Let's go on. I've already mentioned this case. Let's go on to that. Examples of pain resolutions. These are statements that I've had in my office, by the way. I will not play favorites. This really hurts a child. It did to me. And these are usually statements of someone who's, who's made a vow in their own self-effort to do differently than their parents did. It sounds noble, doesn't it? Ronald Reagan and his wife, I think it was Nancy Reagan, coined the phrase, just say no, and it sounds great. But a lot of people who are struggling in the grip of drugs or alcohol find out that it's bigger than that. Bigger than just saying no, they need God. Let's go on. There is good news, and that's what we need. Aha! I am so glad that God tapped the shoulder of a young man named Ezekiel back in the days of the prophets, and he said, I want you to speak for me. And to this prophet, he gave him wonderful things. Ezekiel 18 is the counterbalance to the statement we find in the Ten Commandments that God visits the iniquity of the fathers up to the third and fourth generation. Ezekiel 18 balances and brings that chapter, that verse, into perspective. The son will not share the guilt of the father, nor will the father share the guilt of the son. Aha! Good news, my friends. Good news. 
All of us can connect our hearts and our lives to God. The righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be charged against him. Let's go on. For every living soul belongs to me, the Father as well as the Son, both alike belong unto me. And as Adventists, we know this chapter well, as we do others, because it says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die, or he shall die. And that's true. <clears throat> that's a true truth that we need. And it also unshackles us from any false idea that we're trapped in the sins of our parents. Let's go on. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Jesus understands what it's like to be born here on the earth. He knows what it's like. And he was probably a pretty tough guy. Why would I say that? Well, you don't work in a carpenter shop for 30 years without power tools, without developing some sinew and ligaments and muscles, and that's okay. But he didn't rely or need any of that to save the human race. He needed something better. He needed trust in his heavenly Father, and that's what you and I need. And on the road to Gethsemane, on the road to Calvary, he went through many, many trials, especially that night when he pled for his disciples just to pray with him. And If your heart isn't touched by that scene of Jesus coming to his disciples saying, would you please just pray with me for a moment? Maybe your heart's stoned tonight. I don't know. That touches me. <clears throat> Examples of personal issues. I'll just run through two separate lists here in the time we have left. Notice the difference. We have spiritual issues and emotional issues. There is a difference, by the way. Spiritual issues are things that need repented of in my life and yours. Everything on the left side of the column here must be repented of. Okay? Everything on the right-hand side of the page, the second column, is something that is pain that has to be taken to Jesus. Okay? <clears throat> that has to be taken to Jesus for healing. If you've been rejected, ignored, or, or, some, or pressured, there's a wrong pattern started in your life, that's okay. Let's accept that this morning. Let's, let's start right there and go forward. You're not stuck there. And I never use terms like ADD or bipolar or whatever with people that we minister to because it's kind of a death sentence to that person. It makes them feel that they're stuck there. <clears throat> what we do is lead that person, try to lead that person to freedom. Get them connected to Jesus. A genuine relationship with Jesus Christ will heal every problem on this page. Every problem. What do I mean by genuine relationship? You get up in the morning and you're opening up your heart to God. And you're saying, God, show me my sin from yesterday. And you repent and you're connecting to the heart of God intimately every morning. That will heal every problem on this page. Issues that must be repented of, pride, hypocrisy, moral failure, rebellion. We live in a world, by the way, that is saturated with the wrong use of sex. I've, I see it everywhere I go. It's in media, advertisement, entertainment, literature. It's everywhere. The world we live in is just saturated with the wrong use of this sex. And it's damaging young people's hearts and lives at a rate you can't imagine. What I ask young people every day, time I have a chance to talk to him is, do you know what the cost is for immorality? And number two, are you willing to pay it? Can you pay it? 
Are you able? Rebellion, bitterness, negative thoughts, occult issues, materialism, or temporal values, all of those things must be repented of because they will block the relationships in your life, first with God and then with other people. If you can't open your heart to God, you'll never open it to another person. Does that sound too strong? It's true. If you can't open your heart to God, you will never open it to another individual. Let's go on as we wind up here. What can be done? I've already talked about spiritual issues and the difference. In summary, I got this quote from the Spirit of Prophecy. And if we ever needed to hear it, it is this generation. Even if the character, habits, and practices of parents have been cast in an inferior mold. Remember the girl who said, my parents did everything wrong. It was an Adventist girl, by the way. We've counseled with all kinds of people, Catholics, Baptists, uh, Amish, it doesn't matter, Mennonite, who they are. <clears throat> if the lessons given them in childhood and youth have led to an unhappy development of character, they need not despair. The converting power of God can transform, aha, there's our words, inherited and cultivated tendencies. For the religion of Jesus is uplifting, born again means a transformation, a new birth in Christ Jesus, passing your parents. You see, God has set it up that we would go beyond our parents, okay? Not that we would be worse than they were. And I realize there is genetic degeneration going on ever since the time of Adam. We've been told this and we believe it. But as we near this last day, these last generations, maybe the last generation, we don't have the crutch of death to fall back on, my friends. We need something else to seal us for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that is the great sealing that needs to happen in my life and yours. I don't know what the timetable is on it, but I know that today is a great day to start on that. Say, God, I need you. Just look up toward heaven and say, God, I need you. Those three words are all you need to do to get that machinery in heaven working in your behalf. <clears throat> what does it mean to pass your parents? Number one, not repeating their sins. You don't have to, my friends. And I love the story of Jonathan who had a a rather terrible example as a father, but yet he demonstrated the um, sorry. He demonstrated the beautiful qualities that made him and David friends. <clears throat> and yes, some people try to make an unholy friendship out of that to justify their own sins. Not true, by the way. Next. Succeeding where they fail. Jesus succeeded where Israel fell. I love that story. That's why he went into the wilderness there and fasted for 40 days. And he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy every time the devil comes to tempt him. That's because Israel was in their wilderness where Deuteronomy was written when they walked for 40 years. And lastly, breaking the chain of generational bad habits. You're not, you're not trapped. You see, God has given you permission, and I, my friends, to do it differently, to do it better, to let him break the chain that binds us in wrong habits and patterns. Sin does not have to be generational. <clears throat> I love this passage, and Paul writes in 2 Timothy, the second letter he wrote to him, 
I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, and then in your mother, and now is in you. That is the right kind of generational legacy. It's the kind that God wants us to have. We pass good things on to our children. And I love this last verse. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. On those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. I hope you like this picture as much as I did. <laughs> Grandpa. Granddaughter. And that's our presentation for today, dear ones. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.